The NBA playoffs mean next level basketball. Get ready for all the action by betting at Play In Tournament with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA National Basketball Association. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets instantly. That means right now, you clinch a win no matter what. All DraftKings Sportsbook customers also can bet on NBA hoops with the same game parlays, combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. Plus, for each day of the play-in, get a risk-free bet up to $10 if your same game parlay doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code GETSUM. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game during the play-in tournament and get $150 in free bets instantly. Again, that's promo code GETSUM at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Gary with the Get Some Podcast. One of my guests this week is... Gary. <laughs> What's up, everybody? It's Gary Owen. My guest this week is. I got you too early. Are you ready now? Sorry about that. It's very professional over here. <laughs> hold on, hold on. He knows nothing. No. Fuck, guys. <laughs> You're embarrassing me here. No. <laughs> people, don't, people don't realize how important starts are. Yeah. You know what I mean? To podcast? To anything in life. Mm-hmm. If you're on, we're rolling now, right? Yeah. Let's just roll. Yeah. If you're on the one inch line, right, and the quarterback just hits you in with the ball and it's over here and that's how you begin the play, mm-hmm. you're fucked. Right. So beginnings are important. So we're fucked. I got to go. Thanks, Okay. Man. Fuck. No. My yeah. goodness. <laughs> All right. Short episode. We'll fill it with highlights from Lucas. There you go. So. I love it. <laughs> go deep into the crates. Why Yo, not? that was, I'm not lying. It, uh, I mean, you had an amazing career and everything, but seriously, it's one of my favorite, like, 80s movies. Yeah, man. I was 18 years old. Uh, you was only 18, Lucas? I was 18. The circus came to town. Uh, I'm a Chicago actor, stage actor, and... Hollywood comes to town. Uh, I'm a high school football player, which is very confusing because my jersey number said linebacker and my body said kicker. Mm -hmm. So it's confusing. (laughs) Um, But I, yeah, I mean, to to continue to wear the pads and to be in a movie, uh, movie stars like Charlie Sheen, it was all very exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We used to quote that. I'm talking in high school. We quoted Lucas so much. Mm. Playing high school football? Because we'd be like, you know, we'd be like, throw it to Lucas. Right. <laughs> and the jersey at the end of the locker room. We played that out, like, all the time. And you were, like, the lead clapper. Oh, man. That, I think that was the beginning of the slow clap. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That was when the slow clap wasn't a comp- <laughs> I, I actually may be responsible for a horrible cliche yeah. of the, the slow, slow clap. clap. Right. Yeah. That was good, man. It's good stuff, man. Were they, they filmed that in Chicago? Filmed it just outside of Chicago in a suburb, yeah. And, I mean, I'm... I probably have a similar background to you in the way that I don't know exactly what your background is. I had a very integrated high school. I was one of the only white boys on my football team. Really? And so my perception, especially right now of what's going on, is mm-hmm. it, it's all very confusing. Yeah? Yeah. With the racial climate? Indeed. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I don't know what your journey was like. I was I was a little different because I had an odd one. Like I grew up in a trailer park, so I went to Ooh. like kindergarten through fourth grade, predominantly black schools, and then oh. then about fifth sixth we moved, and then I went to a really white area. So it was funny because that's when breakdancing was hitting. Yeah. So when I got to this new school, I was this white kid amongst white kids. I could breakdance. Okay. So I up and they were like this, holy cow, who's wow. the new kid? <laughs> so you were kind of the superstar. So you peaked. Peaked early. Very early. And, but well, my could, baby Could you do the worm? Could you do the worm? The worm, the snake. Did you the do worm, it all. The moonwalk. I, the moonwalk was the big one because yeah. nobody could get it. So once I showed up, I was like this, oh, yeah. And I just did it. Everyone went. How'd you, how'd you do that? That's magic. Like I'm teaching everybody. Yeah. <laughs> but um, my babysitter, here's what's funny. My babysitter was a black guy named Sonny, big Afro. And so my preconceived notion of, if you've never been around black people, which you were growing up, with me, that was like my protectors. Those, that was my baby. Sonny, the coolest guy ever. And then so I was like, and then I joined the military and that, That'll blow your mind in general because you grew up in Ohio. You know, the black people live in the city. All the white people were in the country running farms and stuff. Yeah. You joined the Navy. All of a sudden, you got this guy from Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia. They're sending pictures from home, and they're on John Deere tractors. They're on right. farms. And I go, you guys, were you on vacation? They're like, no. I go, <laughs> they go, no, that's us. I go, black people don't live on farms. And then they're, they're all getting around. I go, oh, what'd you just say? I go, black, I've never seen black people live on farms. I go, yeah. no, we all live on farms. I was like, mind blown. Like, that's how I realized, oh, my God, there's a lot going on I don't know about in this world. So that was my upbringing, kind of, you know? Yeah, man, I, I stayed in one spot the whole time, and I grew up on the stage, and I figured that every family had a theater, and, and you grew up doing improv, and, really? and that's what I thought. And then I was realized I was horribly mistaken. Um, once I got out of there. So that was my, my moment, which was similar to yours. Um, but yeah, I, it was, it was very surreal, man, because I, I, um, <laughs> my father, we grew up in extreme poverty. People look at me and the first thing they think of is white privilege and, um, which is adorable by the way. Well, and, it kind of, yeah, I got pigeonholed with, with Ari too. Yeah, indeed. Uh, no, I, and, I, and I totally get it. And I love being misunderstood. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, and the energy it takes to make someone understand who you are, I love it. I love every second of it. Um, so my, we, my, you know, I grew up in the theater, and I grew up in an old folks' home because we didn't have any money, and the way to save money was to kind of rent a room in an old folks' home. You're lying. I, I swear to you. Your mom and dad was living in, like, a old folks' home? Correct. Yeah. Uh, because you could save money and, you know, you, there's no money in theater. So we were a theater family and finally my father just broke down and was like, all right, I, I you know, I got it. We got to get our, ourselves out of this. And my father's first job, and I'm not making this up, was playing Uncle Ben. Uh, he was a white Uncle Ben. And I was very confused because he was on the commercials. And I was like, wait a minute, the, the guy in the the box is black. Right. My old man's white. And I'd go to school and people be like, yo, man, give me some rice, bitch. <laughs> I swear to you. <laughs> Uncle Ben. Give me And I was like, what's going on? Because I didn't know that anyone had seen the commercial. You know, I had no clue. Was it a local commercial? Like no, it was a national. If you Google Uncle Ben, Uncle Google. Ben's rice, my father, who's a great, you know, actor, will come up 
and it's this white dude. And so, like, uh, my first interaction with fame is people screaming and making fun of me because my, they would dress up as my old man for Halloween. Uncle Ben, <laughs> give me some rice, bitch. What was your like, dad? Well, your dad's playing Uncle Ben, and you're yes. going to pull it up? Is it? I wish I could see that far. Yeah, you can bring it yeah. up. I'm old, man. You're also 300 yards away. Uncle Ben never... You got to go old school commercial. Uncle Ben's rice, riverboat captain. Your rice is all sticky and starchy. That's my old man. You can play that shit. Is that black and white one, 1960s? Oh, my God, you're going way back. Here, I'll tell you what. Don't worry about it. We'll find it. I'll go deep into it. Thank you, though. Good, nice work. But there was nothing to... um, Because Uncle Ben never talked, right? It was just, he was just on the box. He was just on the box. And then the black guy on the box. And so imagine my father finally goes, okay, I'm going to make us some money. And he auditions, like all actors do, Uncle Ben's Rice, had no clue, gets hired for this role. You know, I'm thinking, what's next? Aunt Jemima? You know what I mean? It's going to be the first one. It was just very (laughs) surreal. And you're at a black school, though. I'm in an all-black school. And suddenly people are screaming, give me some rice, bitch. And I'm like, I I don't even know what's happening. When I first heard it, I was like, because I hadn't seen the commercial. So I don't know what's going on. I'm like, why are they screaming? Are they screaming it like, just make it funny? Or are they screaming because they're angry? Are they condescending? You know, I think they're screaming because it's like, I, 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 that's a good question. I don't know exactly. I think there's some kind of, it's a little bit exciting. You know, like a local celebrity. I yeah. don't know if it's angry. I don't know exactly. Yeah. Everyone was having fun with it. Yeah, so you know what I mean? High school. They but, probably wasn't thinking really what it was saying. It's no. probably just like, uh, Uncle Ben, bitch. They probably wouldn't give it that much thought. No. It was yeah. just kind of like, I see you, mm-hmm. you know, but it was aggressive and confusing. Yeah. For you. I'm gonna, for me, for sure. Yeah. I'm going to pull it up. I'm going to pull it up so you can see what I'm talking about. Because I know you're like, this, this can't be, right? I just can't picture it. He, but he wasn't yeah. in blackface, was he? No, no. That would be insane. <laughs> that would be insane. Because <laughs> that's what I'm thinking in my brain. I'm like... Oh, they just got a, a white guy selling the rice, but then when you see the box, it's a black on the box. That's my old man. <laughs> the lady, the white lady selling it though. Mm, that's good. So that's ma- not. Now that I see the commercial, yeah, that's not like um, what I thought. Yeah, I thought they were like, you know, they could have casted a black guy for that, which they could have. But that seemed like that was kind of like see, open but, casting. But you know, as an actor, like you get an audition, you go to the audition, you don't know the the backstory. Mm-hmm. You get the role, you you do the role. Yeah, you're just excited. So my my first reference for fame is people just yell shit at you, and it's really fucking awkward. Well, I I heard I read well, I saw in an interview where they I think uh, George Clooney and Mel Gibson was out to eat, and George had said um, they would come up to him and grab him. And he goes, and Mel Gibson, they'd be like, yo, can you say hi to Mel Gibson or something? And he couldn't figure out why. Well, at the time, George Clooney was on ER. Mel Gibson was Braveheart. Mm. So he, George was like, I, I realize I'm in their home. I'm in their house. Yeah. So they're a little more, like you say, aggressive and touchy-feely, where Mel Gibson, they had to go see him at the theater. So they didn't go at him like they did George. 
Yeah, I think there is something to that. If you're in people's living rooms, I, you know, I played Ari for almost a decade and I was in people's living rooms and there's a mm -hmm. lot of confusion. And so, yeah, people get very handsy. They scream, I'm a douchebag because of you. I hear a lot of that, which is adorable. Yeah. You know, that I can, you know, feel good that I've really contributed. And I've, yeah. you know, all these douchebags are inspired by me. And it's a fictional character. It's, I, I guess when there's a, there's a big compliment in there that if you play a character authentically, people think that you are that character. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah. It's you not know, a, yeah, it's not a bad one though. I mean, you still work, you've recently worked with two of my favorite people on the planet. You work with Dion Taylor. Yes. That's one of my favorite he, guys amazing. in the world. He's he did amazing. a prison movie, right? I saw, I'm just going off his Instagram. Right. No, Dion, believe it or not, Dion and I, man, we, we did a movie with Jamie Foxx and um, Robert Downey Jr. and Benicio Del Toro and Jerry Butler, and you'll never see it. That's Be the Golden State Warriors, Cleveland Cavaliers. Yes, and I was gonna, that was my next one I was going to bring up. Yep. I was like, what happened to that movie? Um, Jamie doesn't want to release it. And it's one of those things where Fox is probably the most talented guy I've ever been around, known, heard of. You know, he's the funniest guy in the room. He can sing. There's nothing Fox can't do. So he wrote and directed his first movie, Dion's producing. I had the time of my life. I'm, I'm playing a dude that's obsessed with Steph Curry. He's obsessed with LeBron. We're trying to make our way to the All-Star Weekend in LA. And it's incredible. And Fox is really hard on himself. He's one of these dudes who like, you know, he just wants it to be perfect. So he's been holding on to this thing for five years. Yeah, we, I was like, it's gotta come out before <laughs> Steph and LeBron are no longer in the league. I mean, for the love of God. <laughs> it's gonna be an ESPN classic. It's, it's gonna be a period drama by the time they, you know what I mean? It'll be, by uh, the time they put it out. No, what is it right now uh, on, on HBO or Showtime? The, the, the Lakers series? Yeah, indeed. That, that's what it's going to be by the yeah, time it comes out. Indeed, Showtime. That my brother-in-law, Adam McKay, uh, wrote and produced and he directed the pilot of that. Was it, was it, what's that called? Showtime. It's called Showtime. Oh, it's called Showtime. Yeah. Yeah, I, the, I was going to say Jamie Foxx. I was going to say Deion Sound Jamie Foxx and that was the next movie because I, I remember when they was doing it, you know, I'm a basketball fan and at the time it was, that's when Cleveland and Golden State was going back and forth. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this movie's going to be good. It has to be. Fox is behind it? And yeah. then, you know, Jamie got me my first movie. What like, did you guys do? Held up. It was in a gas station. Talk about a cast that had a hell of a cast before their time. Yeah. Because Jamie was cool, but he was like coming off in living color. It's like 98. So, wow. you know, he's like, he, he got Any Given Sunday, like literally the month after we wrapped. <laughs> and yeah. then uh, Sarah Paulson was in it. Nobody knows she was. Uh, oh, yeah. Rosalind Sanchez ended up getting like Rush Hour 2. Everybody oh, yeah. got a bunch of shit right when we f got done recording it. But at the time, we were all just kind of having fun in Canada. But Jamie saw me on stage and was like, I got this movie, I'm going to bring you in as a redneck cop. I go, all right. I never had an audition before. I didn't know what to expect. So I go in the room and I kind of skip the process. I'm going right to the director and producers. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, I, didn't, I didn't know. I, didn't, I had never experienced people sitting in chairs looking just like you. I thought, right. literally, I thought Jamie made the call. I'm going to go in there waiting on me. This is just a meeting, right? right. You an audition. Know. I was like, oh, I'm seeing like four dudes that look exactly like me. Mm. I'm going, oh, and then I can hear them through the door. Right. I'm going, oh, shit, this is a real audition. Like, and people don't realize that it's just one long test to see if you crack. You know, that's in a way, you know, that's why people, not everyone sees it through as an actor. Because you have mm -hmm. to keep walking into those rooms and proving yourself mm -hmm. for a lifetime. Yeah. It's crazy. 
And it's funny because he must have been inspired by your character because he plays a white redneck cop in our movie at one point. Oh, really? Who's racist and pulls us over. I mean, it's so layered and funny and twisted. Well, he's probably pulling from his childhood, too. He talks about that a lot in Terrell, Texas. Yes. He's probably pulling a lot from there. I remember, yeah. I don't know if you told the story in an interview. I remember he told me about he couldn't even make the, the, uh, the local paper. He had been on, like, Living Color and everything else, and there's, yeah. like... They wouldn't even yeah. put him in a local paper for like local boy does good. He finally got it. Like literally like after any given Sunday, they finally put him in the Terrell Times, he said. Yeah. So, it's funny how that works, man. Mm-hmm. He's such a good guy. Dion's such a good guy. Yeah. I did a Black Lives Matter march in Sacramento. Dion put it together in like a week and it was 50,000 people. Yeah, that's amazing. It was unreal. Yeah, man. I was like, how do He's you- just got great energy, man. He just... I mean, you just want to be around him. And, and he's got great energy and it's childlike, but yet he's always the adult in the room. So yeah. he has that duality. He's, he, there's going to be no stopping him, for sure. I just wonder, like, when he calls you, you're like, are you, you serious right now? Like, the way he talks to you, like, Jay, yeah. Yeah. you're going to kill it, man. Nobody else can do it but you. Yeah. And <laughs> you're just expiring, man. I'm watching yeah. you right now. And I was like this, yeah. what? <laughs> are you lying to me? <laughs> but he does that to everybody. That he messes with, like he likes. He but just brings you up. He brings you up, but he's loyal. Yeah. You know what I mean? And in this town, it's hard to find that. Yeah. It's really hard to find that. And he's kind of like create his own lane. Yeah. Like he, did, he wasn't in the in crowd. He did it his own way, wrote his own stuff. And mm-hmm. then we did, he did it like so like, you know, he got like ex-ball players who invest in his movie that he knew from Sacramento. Like they all just like, okay, we're going to chase the dream together. He hustles, man. Yeah. I just worked with Tyrese, speaking of Dion, mm-hmm. and Terrence Howard in, in a prison movie, and it was an active prison as we were filming in there. Where'd you film at? Uh, we were in Mississippi, man. I mean, wow. it, was, it was crazy. And I'm the warden with a big mustache, southern accent. I'm strapped. I got the warden outfit on, and at one point... We're doing this stunt, and then I run out, and I try to get back in, and the door is locked. And I'm in an active prison with fake blood all over me. I'm strapped, you know, and I'm looking around, and I'm and there are prisoners staring at me, and I can't get back in. So it was all, the stakes were really high at every moment. It was, it was bananas. But it was, it was fun and crazy and dangerous. Did you get to talk to any of the prisoners? Yes. Yeah. Like, I mean, everyone, like, everyone was really accessible, and they were... I thought that they would be angry that we're there. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, um, they, were happy, they were happy to see us, believe I think, it or not. I think if you're shut off from the outside world like that, yeah, any access to it, you probably appreciate. Just a different perspective, point of view. That's why I got a buddy that's in Folsom, right? And when I go visit him... He's always like, he'll, he'll break down like this guy, this guy, this guy. Like he goes, but here's the thing. No matter what beef you got, um, you don't bring it to um, visiting hours or when visitors come. You can be at the vending machine with a guy that you can't stand. Like, dang it, you want a shank. But you literally will be right next to him waiting on the vending machine because they don't want to mess up visiting hours. That's when they get to see their friends and their family. And nobody wants to mess that up. Interesting. So it's so I think that's like you guys coming into a real prison and just sitting down and talking with them. That probably means more than anything. Yeah, you're, you're, it, it was very surreal, man. Because you have to understand, 
I, I'm locked into this character, and so I'm playing the warden, and I'm with the warden, and he's showing me it through his point of view. So oh, I'm hearing yeah. his crazy-ass point of view, man. So Tyrese is one of the inmates, so he was in the belly of the beast. They mm -hmm. embraced him and loved him. Same with Terrence. So I just, I was, I was coming at it from a different angle. Oh, that's you know right. I, I didn't mean? think about that. Yeah. So it was very surreal. And the way they saw me, because I had the swagger of the warden. Mm -hmm. And I was with the warden. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I don't, I get as method as I can. I don't want to be weird about it and stay in character 24-7. Mm -hmm. but, but when I'm walking around, they're looking at me and there's tension because I have that energy and I'm always with the warden. Yeah. So, and then for me to be locked out, you know, dry blood all over me that looks like real blood and I'm suddenly like in the population and I can't get back into the set, it was the best acting I've ever done in my life because I was scared shitless. Oh, really? Oh my God. Well, yeah, you, you were getting another perspective. I didn't, well, I didn't even think about it. You're getting the warden's perspective. Oh, yeah. So he's telling you the horror stories. Yeah, and I'm getting his real perspective and ideology and where he's coming from. Yeah. And again, you can't judge your character. You have to embrace them, even though you don't share the same ideology as a mm -hmm. character. You can't. Um, I, I'm, you know, Ari Gold is a um, abrasive agent. And his everything is about the money with him. Mm -hmm. I can't judge that just because I'm a stage actor from Chicago and it's not about the money for me. I ha you can't you have to extract all that and just you know I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but you just kind of embrace your character. Yeah. So it was very surreal to be immersed in that and to be seen as the warden. You know, no matter what. I mean, they loved Tyrese. They he was their hero. How I was the devil. Right. What. How deep have you gone to a character when you talk about method acting? Because I heard I've heard like Daniel Day Lewis never based character. Jim Carrey, Man on the Moon, didn't break character. Yeah, well, that's true on both both counts. And and Daniel Day Lewis went so deep and always goes so deep and is a genius. And I heard stories about him when I was just recently in London that when he you know played a boxer, he went under the radar and was sparring guys and fighting. All the time, no one, this is before he was really kind of a, a was a superstar, mm -hmm. but getting beaten up, you know, and just went as deep as he possibly could because he wants an authentic experience. Um, yeah, man, I, I try to, I, I just finished a movie where I trained as a tap dancer for six years so that I could tap because every time I would pitch this movie, people would laugh in my face when I would tell them I'm going to play a tap dancer. Mm -hmm. You know, and it wasn't a, you know, it's not a flat out comedy. So I, I just knew that I needed to work as hard as I possibly could to pull this off. So you did, what did you do for six years? Like, I, I studied tap. Really? Yeah. Wow. I've been a drummer since I was eight years old. So I understand how to count it all off. Mm -hmm. I understand what, you know, if you explain it to me musically, I can get it. But to play the drums with your feet is definitely the hardest thing. And stand up comedy. Those are the two hardest things I've ever done in my life. So did you start doing stand-up or you just, you got into it later? It, it's an interesting question because I heard you talking about T.I. at one of your podcasts and you're one of these great old school veteran comics that isn't immediately turned off by a new comic, a quote unquote new comic. Yeah. So 
I appreciate you and your and welcoming people, creative people with open arms. My my background is, you know, I've been on stage since I was eight years old. Uh, came up, you know, uh, going to drama school. My parents had a theater in Chicago. Um, started sketch comedy with Chris Farley at at um, at Second City. You know, when we were kids wow. uh, in the, in the touring company. That's how old I am. Uh, in the touring company, you know, a million in the '90s, a million years ago. So m- part of my background is sketch comedy and improv and writing on my feet. And I've been, you know, rewriting every every anytime they would allow me to. And then, you know, I've only been touring since as a comic since 2017. So mm-hmm. six year, five years is in in your world as someone who's new. Yeah, very new. But you. You can't always gauge that because I got my first. I I went on the first time I went on stage. I got, I didn't really get booed. It was just the comics were heckling me, but it took me like another well, year. That'll to, always happen. Yeah, <laughs> it took me a year to get the nerve to go back up. But yeah. once I said, okay, I'm committed, it was a year and a half, and I got the hosting job on BET. So that's why when I you saw my thing on TI, when yeah. I see someone like you that was in the entertainment business, but now you're like, hmm, I could I, I, one. It's not when you say it's not about the money. The, to the club, it is. The comedy club owners, that's about the money, right? Can we bring Jeremy in and can he move some tickets and can he help us make some money? But you're like, I'm in a, I don't know, ex- express another way, express yourself, art, another art form. Um, well, and it could I, always been a passion of yours. Ironically, the more you don't think about the money and the more you think about how can I get better and I want to respect the space I occupy when I perform, the mm-hmm. more you do that, ironically, the more money you'll make. Yeah, <laughs> You know what that? I mean? So think about, yeah. yeah. You know. I do miss, I, I tell you, I miss those days of uh, my first year and you're just excited for stage time. Yeah. Your stomach, like, I'm just stomach oh, yeah, I'm getting up. I'm getting up at a Japanese restaurant tonight. I get up at, really? I, yeah, I get up at the Dime on on Fairfax with Adam Hunter, you know, for 11 oh, people. Yeah, I mean, Adam. I asked Chappelle dude. about that room. He goes, man, that's a tough room. I was like, <laughs> the fuck? Chappelle thinks it's a tough room? Yeah. He literally said that. I was like, I bombed there. He goes, man, yo, you got to bomb. But yeah. you got to bomb at the right time. That's what he said to me. I was yeah. like, you're fucking right about that. Yeah. I bombed so badly at the Dime that not only did I think, oh, okay, this set's not funny, I literally thought, I've never been funny. There was never been a time in my life when I was funny. Like, you start going into that, sh- that, and then, as you know, if you can somehow not run off stage, if you can somehow dig yourself out, yeah. then the comedy gods will, will cut you a little break, and then your next set, you'll, you'll bounce right back. Never but you've got to stay in it. Yeah, listen, you're never as bad as your worst set, but on the same token, you're never as good as what you think your best set is. So it's both ways. When, yeah. you, when you eat it, like, okay, just, it's not that bad. It's what I, what I tell comics when, they, when I used to do colleges all the time, and I'd have guys open up for me, and I'd, they'd be usually young guys, they'd be pacing. i go, dude, relax. And they're yeah. like, I go, hey, you hear what happened last year here? They're like, no. I go, exactly. Nobody gives a fuck. Come on, let's go tell some jokes. <laughs> yeah. go, These kids don't even remember. I just go have fun, man. Yeah, man. You know? Never I, as bad as that. Okay, we all I, bombed. Hopefully you don't do it in front of 20,000 like T.I. Well... He, he, here's what's interesting about that is, I, listen, I've I, Ti did a, you know, a cameo on Entourage, and he's one of these guys who works hard. Yeah, he's a grinder, and he has respect for you know the new space, and and he's been in the acting lane. He's doing his thing. He's all over the map. But for me, I knew that I needed to do, even though my background is performing, that I needed to do at least 
you know, 200, 250 shows a year to figure out how to navigate that space. Because the first time I got up there at the Laugh Factory, they put me up with Russell Peters, and they're like, oh, you just host with him for this charity event. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. No one works the crowd better than Russell. So I was like, this, oh, man, I got to... Even though I, I... I think one of the, the greatest things to have is, is to have some sort of respect your limit, understand your own limitations. And I knew, okay, as, as good of an improviser as I think I am, mm. he's going to crush it and he's going to navigate that crowd and I'm going to be lost because it's a different- You guys were on stage together? Together. We were hosting together. So I was like, I've got to figure out some bits. I got to have something in my back pocket because I just know that that lane for him, he crushes it. Mm-hmm. And so that's what turned me on to stand up was like, I threw some bits out, and you know, you remember the first time that, that something worked, and you were like, what the fuck? They're laughing like this. How is this? And it was just magical. It's a rush, man. It's incredible. And, and when you're at the Laugh Factory, and there's you know, no hotter room when it's packed, so it was really, really fun. And, and so from there, I was like, let me just, let me just keep, let's see where this goes. And it's just, you know, I, I was just a dude asking a ton of questions, really bothering people. You know, mm-hmm. people just kind of had it with me just because I just was so curious, yeah. you know, and I just want to learn. And that's what you got to do. You got to put your ego aside and get in there and grind. Yeah. Yeah, I'm never, I'm never like, uh, like you said, threatened. I don't think this is, if you're a comedian, this is for us. Nobody else can come in our space. I'm like, nah, they want, look, I mean, you just brought up Jamie. Like, what if musicians said, no, Jamie, you're a stand-up? Not knowing he wanted to be a musician first. Yeah. When when I started in San Diego, uh, Nick Cannon was in a rap group called The Bomb Squad. <laughs> and then I started, remember Magic Johnson had the Magic Hour? Yeah. For like one yeah. season? Yeah. Well, Magic saw me on stage. Again, I I just got to L.A., been to L.A. three months. And I had a meeting with him. He said, I got to talk show. I'm thinking about bringing a co-host in. I was at my... Rent, I was renting a room out of a house in San Diego, burn a VHS tape because I don't have a highlight reel. I got no credit, so I'm burning stuff on this yeah. VHS. Yeah. And Nick came. He's like 17. I'm like 21. And he goes, what are you doing? I said, dude, Magic Johnson wants to see me for this talk show. And yeah. he's going, what? He goes, I think I'm going to do stand-up. I said, you should. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's just two kids talking. Yeah, you man. should. And pretty soon, boom, 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 he just took off. But he started rapping first. It yeah. wasn't stand-up. Performing is performing, and you know, you know how hard stand-up is because then you have to be the singer-songwriter, you, you you know, and it's different. It's different when you're performing other people's words. Yeah, you know, and so it's a muscle that you either have or you don't. Mm-hmm. You know, and you and and even if you do, you still got to work it yeah. and refine it. So I love it. I've been I've been loving the process, and there's you know, it's all about getting up and getting reps. Are you just doing clubs or? I'm, I'm doing clubs. It's, you know, uh, and for me, it's really interesting because a club, a club will like, you know, announce me and I'll sell like 11 tickets and then I'll go, hey, what, what, what's happening? And then I'll go and do that grind, get on the morning shows, go on TV mm-hmm. and get the word out. And then I'll go clean because, you know, when they, people usually for the, in an email blast for a comedy club, they'll be like, what's this dude doing here? Yeah. Is it a, Q and A is it a screening? What's happening? Yeah, they don't know because I have no tape on me. I purposely just haven't filmed anything yet. So you know, it's it's me sometimes walking around a mall handing out flyers. Yeah, and I fill the rooms. 
Yeah. So I pack them, but it's it's got to be from a different angle. Yeah, I can see that. I can see like if I because I was gonna say I don't think I've ever seen anything on YouTube. Nothing or anything. Is that Nothing. on purpose? On yeah, your end? Yeah, yeah. Just because you know I'm pretty protective of it, and I I want to document it, and then I want it to be a surprise. Mm-hmm. I'd rather not people not even have a reference for it yet, and then just go be curious about it. When you say surprise, do you mean like? A full-on special, or you start yeah. popping stuff on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, I've been touring with an hour since 2017, so mm-hmm. you know, it, it 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 will be time. Yeah, God, I remember it's just a, it's such a huge difference when you start and you got five minutes and you watch somebody do an hour and you're like, how do they do it for an hour? When I first started sitting in the back of the comedy store in La Jolla, yeah. just watching guys going, God, he just did an hour. I got like. Five minutes. Right. And there's there's no right or left. I got this one lane and I got these five minutes. I can't veer off. I'm not, I don't, like you said, I don't have that muscle to talk to the audience yet or anything. And then pretty soon it gets to 15, 20, 30. And then you get that mm. first hour. You're like, yo, that's crazy. It's just so fun. And it's just this great skill where, you know, all you need is a microphone. You know, you don't need a set. You don't need someone to sign off on you at the studio. You don't need to... You know, go to hotel rooms and audition, and it's just like it's just immediately you grab that mic and let's go, and it's a, terrifying. And now it's fun. We're in a great age for stand up too. Like that's what we get. That's the I get asked that more than anything is with cancel culture. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you can't talk about? And keep my I've been the white guy doing the black rooms for twenty years, right? And you know, there there's no audience that's more honest than a black crowd. There's no skeletons in the closet. None. You either bring it or you're yeah. or you're done. And like you said, they know if you're authentic, if you're not being malicious, and, uh, and they can sense it right away. And if you're scared, you're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've seen it. I've yeah. also seen guys like be somebody they're completely not. I go, who who are you? You were not that guy backstage. <laughs> yeah. But I always say, I go, no. I said live shows. It's still anything goes. It's when people whip out their phone. And they take this two-minute bit without referencing everything else you was talking about. Right. And then they post it. And then the thing about it is the people getting offended, we're never going to see you anyways. Like, I worry about the people that pay tickets to see me and continually pay tickets to see me. That's who I cater to. Uh, Those people that just want to type something up and I'm mad he did this joke, I'm like, you know what? You were never going to pay to see me anyways. So your, your opinion, valid... I don't really care because you weren't going to come see me. You're but, just being angry. But your energy, that's the exact energy you need to create on your highest level. The moment you start figuring out the best way to please them or this group or how is this going to sound, yeah. that's not interesting. At all. You're the least interesting version of yourself yeah. when you start doing that. And that's one of Chappelle's superpowers. He's just one of these dudes who speaks the truth as he knows it. He tackles the taboo subjects. Same with Bill Burr, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just inspiring. Well, it's one, like, I always say when you, people don't know, and they're like, how, why, is, why is Dave so big? How, how does he do it without, I mean, he's the one guy, I think he's him and Ricky Gervais, maybe, mm-hmm. the freest yeah. comics because their fan base is so strong. They don't care. Like, they can do whatever they want. But they're also not creatively beholden to anyone because... There's no sponsors. But also, at this point, you know, after Chappelle left his show, 
you know, he's not worrying about a corporation. As he says, he's being hired by the people. Mm-hmm. He's a stand-up. Gervais writes everything for himself. You know, they came to me for the office when they did the American office. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I, have, have you ever seen the British office? Yeah. It's genius. Yeah. And he's, he wrote that for himself. And as, as delusional as I am as an actor... And I'm a cocky motherfucker because I've been doing it since I was eight years. I finally got his attention. Thank God. He looked up from fucking, <laughs> fucking Tinder for That's half a scary. second. He's just swiping. That's Gary. Yeah. That's young Gary. I'm old Gary. That's young okay. Gary. <laughs> as cocky as I am, when I saw the British office, I was like, he, he wrote this for himself. He is playing a, a white, awkward dude who's taken a victory lap at every chance that he possibly can, but he has this duality where he's just like so full of himself and awkward at the same time. And it was this perfect line that he wrote for him. I was like, I could never do that better than him. I just can't. What, if I did that, it would look like karaoke at best. Wow. Yeah. That's hard. I mean, that's, that's something to be said that you're looking at something going, I, I don't even want to come after that. No. I don't want no part of that. No. And I remember I was on, I was on Broadway and um, there was, I ended up getting really fucking sick. It's a whole other story. We don't have enough time to get into it. But I would tell dudes, remember I told a bunch of dudes to come in and I was like, man, just at some point I'm going to drop. I ended up getting really, really sick. Um, I had like, I brought like Tay Diggs. I brought a bunch of dudes in to see me. I was like, can you replace me in this? And they saw me and they're like, motherfucker, are you kidding me? They're like, I was sweating watching you do that role. Because it was like, David Mamet, you know, curtain opens, you're shot out of a cannon. I don't leave stage for the entire play. Wow. There's no intermission. You know what I mean? It's just madness, but it's what we do. And he was like, fuck that. Then no one, you know. And so I understand that. When I saw Ricky Gervais doing the British office, I was like, I can't. I can't beat that. Mm. No way. But I, I, that's why, yeah, Gervais and Chappelle. Yeah. They say whatever they want. And then. Yeah. Think, no one, think about what Gervais said when he hosted the, the Golden, Golden Globes. Globes. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, that was so tame. Like what, what Chris Rock said was so tame. I watched the Golden Globes for Ricky Gervais. Yeah. And the, you want the laughs, but as a stand-up, you love those. Oh. Moments, you know what I mean? Not only did he throw that, he threw everyone under the bus and then doubled down as he was doing it. He would offend everyone. He goes, don't look at me, it's you. You fucking did this. You know what I mean? Right. It was was like, it was wild to watch. Yeah. It was great. He just had no fear. He just went in. And the premise being, the contract with the audience was, I'm here to tell jokes. I'm going to take shots at you. They call it taking the piss. It's the national pastime in the UK. And everyone was, you know, everyone was down for it. I mean, there were yeah. people, you could see their faces. There were some people that were really offended. Yeah. But they didn't snap. But they didn't say you're lying. <laughs> That's the thing. Nobody said you're lying. Like, for lately, me going through the divorce, right? I'm going through a divorce. Oh, I know. So, idea. yeah. So I'm going through this divorce and... Faison, who's one of my favorite people on the planet, Faison Love, Yeah, I mean, digs on me every chance through a text or a phone call or something like, <laughs> we're shooting this film. And I, I walk in, I go, hey, what are you guys talking about? He goes, our families. Yeah. <laughs> Just when you're such yeah. a dick. But I love it. Like, if something's going wrong with me, 
just dig on me. Like that's the, to me that's that shows you care. Right. <laughs> like right. and go for the throat. Yeah. If I if I lose my hand in an accident, I mean you better make fun of me having one hand. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. And I mean, it's the warp stand up sense of humor we got, but Yeah, I mean I'm late to this culture, so I'm more, I'm, I have that duality where I'm a sensitive little bitch from being an actor since I was a child. Yeah. But now running in the stand-up lane, I've had to toughen up a bit. Yeah. I was co-hosting with Mike Tyson. We were interviewing Bill Burr, and he turned to me. And he's like, hey, I don't know, look at you. And I was like, what's going on right now? And Bill Burr's like one of my heroes. Yeah. And, in, and he just was like, where'd you get those shoes? It they, 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 they matches your jacket, huh? You yeah. get them at the same time? You know, and he was just started <laughs> in on me. And, you know, I kind of came back, but it was like, it's weird because I, he's another one of those dudes who has no fear. He, the subjects that he attacks, mm -hmm. um, very few people do. And he speaks so truthfully about them and brilliantly, yeah. really funny. So I had a little bit of a that instead of just like coming right back at him yeah. and doing what, what you're saying, which is, you know, to, to fucking take a shot right back would have been the call. And I, yeah. you know, I literally have played characters that have won awards for being, for doing that. Yeah. So, but at the same time, I'm sitting with the dude, I was like, first of all, Tyson's peeking on mushrooms. Yeah. Peeking, <laughs> handfuls of mushrooms, and Bill doesn't know what's happening, right? Yeah. And I'd already done a bunch of shows with Mike, you know, he's like, throw me, throw me, throw me. And he's just like, <laughs> it's just a microdose. And it's a fucking macrodose. Yeah. Like a handfuls of white, frothy fucking mushrooms. And, you know, it's very surreal. And, and, and Tyson starts kind of bullying Burr to, to take mushrooms. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> it was like, it was a very surreal day. Did he take them? He didn't, but he later did. And I'm very curious. I can't wait to see him or talk to him again because I know that that kind of, I think, inspired him to go and, and take that journey. Burr? Yes. He didn't, really? he didn't at that moment take mushrooms, but I know that after that, he went off and, and took them. Really? Yeah. And, and by the way, these are all signs. Like, I keep getting these signs. I did mushrooms the other night, and I thought I was microdosing, and I didn't. <laughs> and it was so fucking calm. over. <laughs> it, was, it was just too much, man. So just lay back. So I just took them the other night, right? And <laughs> it was too much for me, man. I thought I took a... I, you know, I'm also like, you know, each person is different, you know, and so I took them. It was I was watching. I was had some friends over watching that UFC fight, and when you're just peeking on mushrooms, watching men kill each other in a cage, it's a, it was very surreal. It was, a, it was an amazing night, but I didn't. Also, body weight is a variable, and I had to lose a bunch of weight for this role that I was playing, the tap dancer. Mm -hmm. So I dropped 20 pounds. So I'm like 168 pounds wet right now. Um, and everyone around me is probably a biscuit over 230 pounds. And so everyone's gobbling mushrooms and I'm a, a, of a different weight class. Yeah. So it was too much. It was way too much. <laughs> yeah. It was awkward. I was way too emotional. What, what happens? Cause I've never taken mushrooms. Well, I would highly, especially right now when you're going through a divorce and you're probably at your lowest point and, and most men would have stayed in it, but you didn't. And you're not strong and you didn't want to see it through. And I, I think your third yeah, act is going to be dangerous and horrible. And I'm just kidding. You wanted me to I like take a shot. <laughs> I love how you, you, you bring that up. And that's what I got on the internet, uh, on the internet for the, what I said, the people that are never going to come see me. They go, so is he canceled now? What's his act going to be like since he doesn't have a black wife anymore? I'm like, oh, wait, just wait. Just be patient. 
Just be patient. <laughs> That's amazing. I can't wait to it's are final. So fucking. But, oh, so what? What I wait, will say about mushrooms is, it's um, it's not a man-made drug. Obviously, it comes from the earth, and what whatever you're going to experience is not like a pre-programmed ride that is the same for everyone is basically going to highlight and explore and heighten who you are, how you see the world. And you're going to start noticing things that you take for granted. So I think it's amazing. You learn a lot about yourself. So when you say microdose, yes, what does that mean? Micro, you take, you take a, a small amount and it's manageable and you're, people take it and they're able to kind of function and navigate through the day, but everyone's different. You know, I, I'm pretty sensitive. So like for me, I would not have been able to function had I left my house. It would have been a disaster if I was out in public. So you would say recommend everybody do it at home the first time. I would say, but I would say have access to nature. You don't want to be like, you know, stuck in your place. I would say like, make sure that you're, you have a park or something nearby. Make sure you're with people who you trust and like, it's you like, know, what are you, what are you going to do? <laughs> we're gonna know butterflies and shit like that yeah just go outside and look at the trees and realize the trees are breathing and that life is and you're lucky to be here and have some perspective on life could be good you could get huh. back with your wife i don't know that's, what's i don't know what's gonna happen that's from not gonna this happen no no okay there's no way that's happening you say that <laughs> no that's that ship has sailed titanic like have you like have i've already let go of leo i'm leo okay i let go you're off the iceberg. Okay. Yeah, that's shit. That ship has sailed. That's we, for sure. How long were you married? 17 years. That's amazing. We're together 23. That, that is, that's a good run, man. I, Since you were kids. Holy fuck. That's a I good run. I said the run. same thing. And yeah. when they said like, what's going to say? We had a good run. That's I go, that great. sounds awful. No, When you're man. selling your wife and that, like, I'm um, trying to. Why does everything have to be eternity? You can't compare and contrast. Yeah. I was like, dude, we had a great run. Let's just. Let's just be happy and figure this out. Yeah. It's but all it about perspective. Over. It was definitely over when we... It was time. We yeah. It should have been should have been years ago. Just kind of hang in there. You know, give it a little college try. I think the passion comes back, but... No, maybe we should have took mushrooms together. I don't know. Missed that boat. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe uh, I throw her off the tree. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, I'm a fucking murderer, man! <laughs> But that's also a good perspective, <laughs> you know. Then, then I'm emotional. Right. I'm sorry. I'm you sorry. will get emotional. <laughs> you you will you will uh, come face to face with your inner child. I think there's no, nothing but good will come of you taking mushrooms and then coming back on this podcast and talking about it. Am I right? What Gary Junior? What yeah. uh, uh uh, what's it like watching UFC fight on mushrooms? Well, that you know, I, I'm a I'm a fan of the sport. I just you know, it's it's amazing what these guys have to put themselves through. People people don't really realize what it takes to to compete on an elite level in that cage and and to have a background in you know Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu and and Judo and everything else, and then to be able to be locked in a cage, have those bright lights happen, and and compete on that level. Um, but it. It was so violent that, you know, because um, you're, you're in this kind of like very peaceful and your body is vibrating and you're, and you're accessing different emotions and then you're watching guys beat the shit out of each other. And it's a, it's a, it's, it, it takes a minute, you know? So like I had to kind of nav put it on pause, 
navigate it, you know, go outside, um, put my feet in the grass. You know what I mean? <laughs> talk to my buddies for a bit. They, they talked me down. I got a little emotional. I don't know why I'm revealing all this Are to you. Are you? It, it, it reminds me of like a scene in Boogie Nights. Yeah. Like literally. Yeah. Exactly. You know, like when, uh, when, uh, what was it? Uh, when Mark Wahlberg and the girl, uh, what's it? What, who's the redhead girl? Oh, and Boogie why, Nights. Why am I blanking on her name? Amy Adams. Not well, Amy Adams. Uh, wasn't that Amy Adams? Julianne Moore. Julianne Moore. Moore. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. All their interactions, it seemed like what you were just saying. You know what I mean? When they were, you know, just, oh, it's fucking awesome. Yeah. Good mom. <laughs> Everybody, <laughs> when, I, when Boogie Nights came out, I remember I was in Pittsburgh after a show like 20 years ago, and these freaking, I'm at this after hour spot, which I shouldn't have been at. And these two girls and guy are there. And it's the first time I, not the first time, one of the few times I've seen just people do coke like right in front of me. Like, I'm, like they don't know who I am. So they just whip it out, they're doing it, and the girl goes like this. Then the emotions came in. So I don't know if they were on mushrooms because it sounds like what well, you're saying. Well, you know that mushrooms are the antithesis of cocaine. You understand so that, So cocaine, right? like, gets you up, right? Correct. And then mushrooms bring you down. Well, what what brings out the emotions, though? M mushrooms will have you go inward. Um, blow is everything's outward. Everything's, what's next? What's next? Let's go. I need some more. What's happening? This is fucking amazing. Bro, I just, have I ever told you that? I you know I have these feelings for you, bro. I mean, I, 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 shut <laughs> the it's a, it's a million o'clock. That's what I don't understand. Sunset. It's too, you know, it's just, it's no. They must have did mushrooms and then did coke because the way you're saying mushrooms acted, yeah. they were going like this. The girl goes, you're such a fucking good mom. You're right. a fucking awesome mom. Right. And she pulls out a picture of her kid and I'm like over here looking, I'm going, <laughs> and the girl, the two girls, the one girl's telling the other girl what a good mom she is. And I'm going, it's 3.30 in the fucking morning and you're doing coke. I go, you're a fucking terrible mom. Yeah. <laughs> I'm literally going, that's, you're one of the worst moms I've ever met and right. I don't know you. <laughs> that's, that's the irony of fucking Paul Thomas Anderson, who's a genius who wrote and directed that. That was amazing, amazing, amazing. But I think you need to start living your life in a different way. I don't mean to, I'm not judging you. I'm just going to throw this out there to you. You really want me to do shrooms. Well, I'm just saying. You're worried about your hands in your pocket. It sounds you like, it, can you imagine? <laughs> it sounds like your reference for certain things in life is just through pop culture. And I think it's time you get in the game. That's mm. just one man talking. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I don't think your reference for mushrooms should be boogie nights from 20 years ago. Take some mushrooms, mm. grab some friends and go to the park. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, why did I come here to tell you to take drugs? <laughs> Fucking weird, man. <laughs> go to a park. Now, every time I drive by a park, so I take shrooms, I go, that'd be a good park. <laughs> oh, no, there's a lake. I don't want to drown myself. Yeah. <laughs> also, I'm holding the noose, scary swimming naked in a lake. Yeah. <laughs> like this, Jeremy! Jeremy Pivot! <laughs> just fucking drive past Hold you, on. keep going. Here's my look. I, I take too much. I do right. something I shouldn't do. I'm in the lake. I get taken off a show, and then I say, why, why is Jeremy Pivot at the Houston Improv this week, and I'm not? <laughs> he just took my spot for the next yeah. month. Gotcha, motherfucker. Yeah, that's what I <laughs> this guy had it all planned out. Yeah, man. I'm just here for a hit. I just need those spots. I need to hit hilarities. Yeah. Well, I'm just trying to think. Now you got me thinking, when's a good time? I'm so busy. <laughs> How long does it last? You know, it, it'll be intense for three hours. So you could do it. I mean, you're, you're look, you're, look, you're only doing shows on the road Thursday through Sunday, correct? Mm -hmm. 
So hit it on a, on a Sunday night and give yourself some time to regroup. Before you get on a plane? Shouldn't I be home? After you get on a plane, Monday night, something like that, you know. <laughs> I, want, I don't want to have nothing planned the next day, just in case. I tell you what. It hits. I will, I will, um, I've got some friends that have access to, what, well, I sound like a fucking drug dealer right now. <laughs> it's fucking pathetic, man. What, we're still in the air. I don't want to, I, I can't be this Listen, guy. Listen, cut this guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> hold on, hold on. <laughs> I have you back in a year, and I'm like, I'm doing Mike. <laughs> yeah. Hey, is that movie out yet? Yeah. It's you and Fox. <laughs> <laughs> I got oh. a basketball. I'm just dribbling it. <laughs> Everything you haven't done a show in fucking 18 months. Yeah. It's fucking <laughs> this over. Is it. This is my income. I got the same jacket on. <laughs> um, How no. do you build up a tolerance like Tyson though? Because he just much on like they're Pringles. You know what? I, I I think you know you just nailed it. Um, he did he did build up a tolerance. I mean, what's fascinating about that guy is, you know, and we all know his story. He um, he was taken advantage of as a kid, and his way of dealing with that was getting physical. And he realized that he had some skills and went to the cat skills and started working with Cuss. Became the greatest fighter of all time. Lost his fucking mind. This is all stuff that he's revealed. Mm -hmm. And he lives in extremes. You know, he's had all these ups and downs, and he's got all that energy, and he puts it towards spirituality, going inward, and and mushrooms. And and he also takes the toad, which is, bro, that's... that's What's all, the toad? The toad is so much deeper than mushrooms. That's when you, like, you face yourself, and you go, and, and, and you face your own death, and it's fucking... You're in the belly of the beast, and it's... It's the ex excretions of a toad that, like, it's like ayahuasca but more intense. So, like, that, I would say start. I don't know why I'm here to tell you to take no, drugs. No, please. I would say start with mushrooms. And go to the toad? I mean, ultimately, you want to end up with the toad. There's going to be all kinds of fucking frogs here next year. <laughs> Just <laughs> all over this. <laughs> it's a good one. Huh. Try that one. <laughs> but it's all about microdosing. Um, Start with start start small. I just is it, do you think the Indians was doing it first? Since it's grown. Yeah, I think I think they were doing peyote, which is which is more intense because you take it and then you throw up and it's just very it's a very intense journey, that type of stuff. But You've yeah, done everything, Jeremy. I haven't done right? every I haven't done everything, but it from this podcast it sounds yeah. like I've done like, just about like, it. I'm like looking at you like this. You know the results of everything. <laughs> everything. <laughs> Like this. <laughs> what was going on on Lucas's set? Seriously. <laughs> oh, it's funny you say that. It was that. supposed just, to be a normal clap. Bro, bro, this is day one. This is day one. I kid you not. So there I am. I'm 18 years old. Circus comes to town. I'm like, man, we're getting paid to act? This is incredible. Charlie Sheen is a movie star. I'm meeting him for the first time. He goes, dude, the only way I'm going to make through, through this entire movie, dude, is if I have a 12-pack and a big fat fucking joint, dude. At that moment, the director comes over and goes, we'll get right on that, Charlie. We're going to get on that 12-pack in that joint for you. And he looks and he goes, dude, I'm fucking mic'd. I totally forgot, dude. <laughs> that was day one. By the way, he's been that way. You know, it's he's not like consistent. he... Yeah. He was that way from the jump. I mean, that's yeah. 18. First yeah. movie, dude. I, the only way I can make it through is from a big fat joint, dude. That's like... And he's still somehow he's still doing it. Yeah, yeah. I think that, that should be your next guest, Charlie Sheen. Yeah, you guys call, make those calls. Come on, let's yeah. go. 
I have to I'm, go to the park now and take some mushrooms. Okay, but be honest. Yeah. Of all the interviews you've done. Yeah. Have you talked this much about Lucas in your whole career? Never. Yeah. <laughs> you went as deep into the crates as anyone's well, ever. I mean, Entourage was too obvious for me. I yeah, like, I love it. We're good. Let's go to some he's never talked about. Shrooms, peyote, Bro. the toad, and This is Lucas. amazing. This is amazing. <laughs> if uh, you could have... Honestly, you, it's one of my best moments in high school because we always used to do it. Like, guys would like run, just run down the field and be like, throw it to Lucas! <laughs> throw it! <laughs> <laughs> then we'd be in the locker. Because, you know, in high school, you wear your jerseys on Fridays, game day. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Every Friday, I mean, I was probably leading it, be like this. And then yeah. somebody would just start clapping. Yeah. <laughs> Lucas! <laughs> Maybe you weren't but, supposed to slow clap. Maybe he's on the shrooms. It was supposed to be a normal clap. And the director goes, oh, you just, it's inward, man. You was. See, you're, you're taking shots right now. But once you take them, the, you will have a reference for all this. You're gonna, it's gonna, things are going to be different for you. <laughs> things are going to be different. I can't wait. I'm telling you. Watch my act just change. Yeah. <laughs> the only constant is change, man. Yeah. I don't know why I'm pushing drugs on you. I get this so inward like, like this. Why is Gary <laughs> doing like Mitch Hedberg type jokes? <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. You totally change your style. Right. I love it. Everything. I appreciate coming on, man. Thank you for having Give me. Give me the drug schooling yeah. that I didn't know I had. Listen, can we do a part two? And let's do a part two. And I want you to reflect on your experience. Is that possible? Do you want to do a part two, like, as I'm taking mushrooms? Or... That's up to you. I don't know if you want to document the journey because that's pretty personal. And you okay. may get very emotional. And I don't know if you want to... I mean, maybe that could be right for you. I don't know. Okay. We'll see. Just crying I, I, the whole interview? I, I say off mic, off camera, take that first dive. Yeah. And then see... Okay, let me ask you this. Yeah. Is there, you know... Can people cut it? How do you know it's pure? Well, you it's act, a mushroom. You don't want people putting shit in your mushroom, right? Right. I mean, you got to. It, I'll, I'll go your guy. It's funny you just say you. You <laughs> can't have people put shit in your mushrooms. You know that mushrooms grow in cow shit, right? No, I didn't. Okay, know. didn't know that. We we'll, we're we're gonna we're gonna do a whole I workshop have with no you. No idea. Yeah, man. We're gonna go to Ohio. You and I are gonna start an acai bowl. Like I am not. Going to Ruth Chris again and order a mushroom. I didn't know they grew in cow shit. No, no, those are no, the magic mushrooms. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yes. Thanks. Yeah. So man, the Indians I, probably had the buffalo mushrooms. You know, it, it it's so funny, man. You know where where it started was it, it goes it goes so far back. Tequila, um, the way that they would smash the agave plants was these donkeys would walk. This sounds like I'm going crazy. No. The donkeys would walk in circles, and and this contraption would smash the the agave into tequila, and they would go to the bathroom, and it would fertilize the mushrooms. And humans or the donkeys? The donkeys. Hmm. Right. So that's why when you hear like, oh, you're going to drink the worm, the worm at the bottom of the tequila was kind of like immersed in all these hallucinogenics with the mushrooms and the, the donkey shit and everything. It goes very deep. And that's why people would say, wow, you drink that worm and you're going to really hallucinate. I had no I'm just, idea. Yeah, man. There's, 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 there's. Why does all this, uh, why does all the like 
Dude, you have a whole new I'm life, man. But it's all coming from animal shit. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> all of it. <laughs> this is so odd. I'm going to the park, man. All right. Appreciate you, man. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>